You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. When I was in college, my roommate Chad and I, we spent hours and hours debating whether God exists. And he had some arguments and I had some arguments. Uh, but at the time, I didn't know about this argument that I'm going to talk to you about today, the Kalam cosmological argument. I think it's very, very interesting, and uh, I hope you do too. So is it reasonable to believe that God exists? The Kalam cosmological argument goes a little bit like this. No, that's not true. It goes exactly like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now, I'm not sure whether or not this argument works, but I am sure that if both premises are true, then the conclusion does logically follow. It would be a little bit like the syllogism, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. If both those premises are true, then the conclusion certainly follows. So are both premises true? Let's consider each one in turn. Is it reasonable to believe the major premise? The major premise, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Well, if we think about that premise, one of the things that we might uh, notice is that any proof of this principle would be less obvious than the principle itself. That is to say, it is so clear and evident to all of our experience that whatever begins to exist has a cause, that it's hard to imagine uh, something even more evident that could be used to establish the truth of that principle. So you and I, obviously we began to exist and you and I were caused by our parents. The earth began to exist and I'm not a geologist, a scientist, but I'm sure they have some explanation of how it came to exist. And this principle that whatever begins to exist has a cause is confirmed by all our experiences and it's used in our scientific explanations of the world. So it seems to me that when we're thinking about this premise, it's about as well established as anything could be in terms of what we know. In fact, all known evidence confirms that whatever begins to exist has a cause. So could you think of any exception to that? Something that began to exist, but didn't have a cause? I can't. Um, if you can, let me know. In fact, there's no evidence at all that some things begin to exist without a cause. And so if you have a proposition and all available evidence is on one side confirming it, and there's no evidence whatsoever on the other side disconfirming it, that seems like it's a good reason to believe that whatever begins to exist has a cause. So is it reasonable to believe that whatever begins to exist has a cause? I suppose it depends in part on whether you uh, think that it's reasonable to believe things that there's evidence for and to reject things that there is no evidence for. So if you think that, then it seems to me it would follow that it is reasonable to believe whatever begins to exist has a cause. So what about the minor premise? Is it reasonable to believe that the universe began to exist? This, it seems to me, is, is quite a hard question. 
Um, I wasn't there at the beginning of the universe, obviously, and I'm guessing you weren't either. So how could we adjudicate this premise? The universe began to exist. And what do I mean here by universe? Well, what's meant here in the Kalam cosmological argument, what's meant here by universe is all time, all space, and all matter. So that's a lot. That's everything. That is to say everything that is made up of time, space, and matter. And what could we say about this minor premise, the universe began to exist? Well, the second law of thermodynamics says that processes taking place in a closed system always tend toward a state of equilibrium. And what does that mean? Well, you can think about it a little bit like um, a battery. And if you have a battery that's charging up a toy, that battery is uh, a process that is taking place in a closed system. And as the battery, as a toy is used and the battery runs out of energy, it's gonna head towards uh, not being operative any longer. So one of the reasons that some scientists believe that the universe began to exist is that the universe is slowly running out of energy. So if you think about the heat of the universe, the universe began very, very hot. And over the process of 13 billion years or so, has been cooling off. So if it were true that the universe did not have a beginning, well, then this process of cooling off would have reached a state of equilibrium. That is to say, we would be now in a cold universe, but we're clearly not in a cold universe, right? There's the sun, there's all kinds of sources of heat. And so we have not run out of available energy. And so if the second law of thermodynamics is applied to the universe, then it leads to the conclusion that the universe uh, has not existed for all time, but rather that the universe began in time. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. But clearly it's not run out of usable energy by now. We have the sun, we have other stars, and so the universe has not, in fact, been here forever. That is to say the universe began to exist. The second law points us to a universe, in other words, that has a definite beginning. Now there's further scientific confirmation. And you know, I know that you, I believe at least, I hope that you believe in the findings of science, that you're not a science denier. And this further scientific confirmation comes in terms of the universe, everything in the universe expanding outward from a single mathematical point. And at one point in the past, the entire known universe was contracted down to a single mathematical point. That is to say, nothing at all. Scientists also point to the radiation dispersion in the universe, and I'm not sure I properly understand that, but my best understanding is that the way in which radiation is dispersed leads scientists to conclude that the universe did have a beginning. And there's evidence found by the Hubble telescope that also suggests that the universe had a beginning. So what you have here is multiple converging points, you might say, of scientific evidence, all of which point to the same conclusion. So it'd be a little bit like a murder where the fingerprint, fingerprints point to a particular murder and the uh, blood points to 
one particular individual doing the killing and the videotape evidence point to an individual doing it. If you have multiple uh, lines of evidence that converge on a single point, well, that can raise our confidence that the point in question is true. So the scientific consensus is that the universe began to exist about 13.7 billion years ago. And it's confirmed by physicists who believe in God. It's confirmed by atheistic physicists. It's confirmed, in other words, by a wide uh, scope of scientific opinion. Now, not only science, but also philosophy can lead us to this a similar conclusion. So um, imagine you are digging at the beach and as you, you dig, uh, you put the sand that you dig in your, in your shovel into a pail and you dig and you dig and you dig and you dig. Now, at what point would you be able to say, aha, now I've finally shoveled an infinite number of grains of sand into my pail? Well, I think the answer to that is you never would get there. It's impossible to reach an actual infinity through finite addition. At least that's the argument that some uh, philosophers, Arabic, Christian, and um, Jewish uh, came to the conclusion of, that you can't reach an, an, actual, an actual infinity through the process of finite addition. So to take a different example, imagine you're counting two, four, six, eight, and you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. At what point would you reach infinity? Right? At what point would you say, and infinity? Well, you would never reach infinity. And it doesn't matter whether you count two, four, six, eight, or whether you count 100, 200, or a billion, two billion. You can count by any increments you like. But as long as the increments are finite, you never do reach actual infinity. And yet another way of thinking about it, imagine you're Supergirl, and you're flying from planet Earth, and you're flying to a point that is infinitely far away. Well, no matter how far you flew, no matter how fast you flew rather, you're never gonna reach a point where you say, aha, and now I reached a point that's infinitely far away. So if these examples are correct, it is impossible to reach actual infinity through finite addition. But if that's the case, well then we can't have a universe that as an actual infinity of hours or days or centuries or millennia old. If there cannot be an actual infinite or if an actual infinite cannot be created through finite addition, well then the universe must have had a beginning. There can't be an infinite number of hours in the universe or an infinite number of years in the universe. And so you might say philosophy here confirms the findings of science that the universe, that is all time, all space, and all matter, is not everlasting, but rather does have a beginning. All things with a beginning have a cause, and therefore the universe has a cause. And the name that's typically given to the cause of the universe is God. All right, I can hear people objecting already. No, no, it's not God. Well, it's fine, you don't need to call it God. You could call it the creator, you could call it the cause of the universe, but the conclusion, whatever you call the conclusion, is the same, that the universe has a cause. 
So is it reasonable to believe that the universe began to exist? Well, I suppose it depends on whether you believe in science and whether you believe these philosophical arguments establish their conclusion. But if you believe in the contemporary scientific consensus and or if you believe in the philosophical arguments that there cannot be an actual affinity, well, then it seems to be reasonable to believe that the universe began to exist. Now, one objection might be, well, look, couldn't the universe just cause itself? Maybe somehow the universe brought itself into existence. All time, all space, and all matter caused all time, all space, and all matter to come into existence. But the trouble with that is that something can't come from nothing and nothing can cause itself. So is it possible for an individual to cause herself, say this little child? Well, it seems completely impossible that this little child could cause herself. Why? Well, think about a non-existing individual. Let's say your great-great-granddaughter. I'm guessing unless you're 110, you don't have a great-great-granddaughter. So, but maybe you will someday, right? But she doesn't exist right now. So can your great-great-granddaughter uh, help you in any way? Well, it seems clear that she can't. She can't get your coffee for you. She can't give you a hug. She can't give you a kiss. And that's really too bad because your great-great-granddaughter probably would give you a lot of joy and she'd probably be really cute. And it'd be great if she could give you a hug and a kiss and call you a great-great-grandparent. But she's not around, so she can't do any of those things. Now, because she can't do any of those things, um, in fact, she also can't do anything whatsoever. And if she can't do anything whatsoever, of course, she can't cause anything whatsoever. But if she can't cause anything whatsoever, well, then she can't cause herself. So if something does not exist, then that thing cannot cause itself to come into existence. But if the scientific consensus is right, the universe itself did not exist, say 20 billion years ago. And if it didn't exist 20 billion years ago, well, then it couldn't do anything. And if it couldn't do anything, it couldn't cause anything. And if it couldn't cause anything, it couldn't cause itself. So the universe causing itself is an idea that's not gonna work. Now, another big problem might be, well, look, is the cause of the universe what most people mean by God? And here, I think we can uh, examine the uh, Kalam argument a little bit more critically and try to unpack why someone might say that the cause of the universe is God. So first, the cause of the universe has to be prior to time. The cause of the universe gives rise to time. And so the cause of the universe, you might say, is a little bit like your mother. Your mother has to pre-exist you because your mother gave rise to you. So if the cause of the universe gives rise to time, and is prior to time, you might say the cause of the universe is outside of time. Or you might even say that the cause of the universe is eternal. Well, that seems a little bit like what many people believe God is. God is supposed to be a being who's eternal. And the cause of the universe has to be prior to space for the same reason, right? I said the cause of the universe gives rise to space. The cause of the universe is maybe a little bit like your father in the sense of, you know, your father is prior to you, had to pre-exist you. 
And so the cause of the universe gives rise to space. So it has to be prior to space. It, ha it has to be therefore outside of space. It has to be something that is not in any particular spatial location. But that again, sounds a little bit like what people mean by God, that God is not confined to a particular spatial location, at least classic uh, belief in God thinks of God as omnipresent outside of any particular space. The cause of the universe has to be prior to matter for the reasons we've said. If the cause of the universe gives rise to all matter, well, it's prior to matter. In other words, it can't be, therefore, the cause of the universe can't be something material. It has to be something immaterial, something you might say spiritual. And whatever the cause of the universe is, the cause of the universe has to be, of course, immensely powerful. Why? Well, think of the power that was required to create your house or your apartment or your car. Whatever gave rise to those things has to be very powerful to put it all together, to craft the metal and the plastic and the, you know, et cetera. So whatever gives rise to all time, all space and all matter, whatever that thing is, that thing is unbelievably, inconceivably powerful. Now, I, I don't know, is it all powerful? Maybe, maybe not, but clearly it's immensely powerful. And it seems that most people, when they talk about God, think about God as a being who is, if not all powerful, at least immensely powerful, unbelievably powerful. And some defenders of the Kalam cosmological argument also argue that the cause of the universe could not be an impersonal cause. So what is an impersonal cause? Uh, an example of that would be the sun. The sun just, you might say, automatically does whatever the sun does, right? It heats things up, it uh, you know, sheds light, and it just automatically does that. By contrast, you and me, we're personal causes, right? We don't always do what we're doing, right? Sometimes we talk, sometimes we're silent. Sometimes we fight and sometimes we're friendly. So we're not just always and automatically doing what we're doing. So why do people like William Lane Craig say, why do they think that the cause of the universe is something that is uh, not an impersonal cause, but rather a personal cause? Well, the sun, as I said, always does whatever it does. It's always heating, it's always giving off light. But the cause of the universe was not always causing the universe. And why do I say that? Well, the cause of the universe wasn't causing the universe 20 billion years ago, right? The cause of the universe caused the universe to come into existence about 13 billion years ago. So there was not, um, you might say, continuous activity of the exact same kind by the cause of the universe all the way through uh, forever because if that were true, well, then the universe would be eternal. So the cause of the universe is not an impersonal cause, but rather a personal cause, at least if those arguments are right. So is it reasonable to believe that the cause of the universe is God? Well, it depends again what you mean by God, but if you meant by God an eternal 
immaterial, immensely powerful, non-spatial cause that brings about the universe, well, then it seems that using the word God is appropriate. But I wouldn't want to, you look, if you don't want to use the word God, that's fine. We don't have to fight over the word God. It doesn't really matter what you call it. You could, again, call it the creator. If you spoke Arabic, you might call it Allah. If you spoke Latin, you might call it Deus or German Gott, French Dieu. It doesn't matter so much what you call it. In fact, you could just say the cause of the universe, who is immensely powerful, immaterial, non-temporal, eternal, and not impersonal. So it doesn't really matter what you call it, but is it reasonable to call it God? Yes, I think most people in English would call that that, uh, the cause of the universe God. Now, here's another question to consider. What if the contemporary science is wrong and the universe is eternal? Well, contemporary science could turn out to be wrong, right? Hasn't science or scientists over the course of time changed their minds? Uh, One famous case is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, uh, as a younger physicist, believed that the universe was eternal. And then later, um, Georges Lemaitre and others convinced him, uh, and the scientific evidence convinced him, that the universe is not eternal. So the most famous uh, scientist of all time is someone who changed his mind over time. And so you could imagine maybe Einstein, if he were alive today, maybe there'd be new evidence that comes out and Einstein would change his mind back to his initial view that the universe is eternal. I certainly don't know, and I doubt you know, exactly what science is gonna come up with. The universe is quirky and weird, and maybe there'll be new discoveries. And maybe it would turn out that the universe is eternal. In any case, um, we can think about that proposition, the universe is eternal, as at least a debatable proposition. And that actually was the view of Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas held that we could not show through reason and philosophy that the universe began, that it is something that is, you might say, undetermined. And so maybe the universe is eternal, maybe it's not, but Aquinas at least thought that philosophy couldn't settle that question. So what if the universe is eternal? If we assume that contemporary science is wrong about the universe, if the universe is eternal, could we still justify belief in God? In other words, let's remove that premise from the Kalam cosmological argument that the universe had a beginning. Let's just get rid of it, throw it in the trash. Would there still be grounds for reasonable belief in God? Well, next time what I wanna talk to you about is Thomas Aquinas' famous five ways to argue for God's existence. This text is indeed one of the most famous texts ever written in philosophy. And it has been argued about and debated, and I have thought about it now for a number of years. And I think it's extremely interesting. And one of the things that's extremely interesting about Thomas's five ways is that they do not appeal to the idea that the universe is uh, beginning, but rather are compatible with the supposition that the universe is eternal. So what we'll do is uh, continue, hopefully our conversation discussion and uh, next time talk about Thomas Aquinas's 
five ways to argue for God's existence. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers.